people ask all the time, it's like, how did you build your business? And some of it is like experience and consciousness. And some is like, I just did this and it, I guess it kind of worked. A lot of it is that, as I was just telling my assistant today, I said, it's hard to look back last week and say like, oh, we really moved the ball forward. But if you look back six months, a year, all these little things that looked like, I remember Seth Godin in a talk, he, he showed this picture of like planes landing at Heathrow Airport. And he was like the runway footage and he, he, they sped it up. And what you saw is these planes coming in for landing and they were like, like, that's what it looks like when it's sped up. But when it's slow, it looks kind of gradual. So he's like, everyone's course correcting all the time. You can only kind of see at the end of the day what happened, but it's not a a week to week thing where you have a massive breakthrough. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome back to the Chief Executive Connector podcast. I'm your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And today we got a, a guy that I, I literally just, just started talking to right now. I think he's an awesome, awesome guy, but I heard him talking on a podcast and I found the subject fascinating. His name is David Premer. He's the founder and chief sales scientist of Cerebral Selling and author of the best-selling book, Sell the Way You Buy. David, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing? Great, Pablo. Thanks for having me. That was a great intro, by the way. I'm like all, I'm all pumped up. I got to maybe just record that, listen to it in the morning when I get up and just, you know, it's... Uh, the good news is that it's being recorded. So <laughs> right. you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, how do you like my ability to go from just like chit-chat a conversation to straight up hype man voice without even taking a breath? Did you know? It's good. It's like, you know, like a dog where you're like, come on, boy, you want to go for a run? It's like, boom, like they get up and out the door. <laughs> That's what, that's it's exactly like a dog. That. I love it. Yeah. In the that's best awesome. possible way. I don't mean to. No, no, no. You know, I, 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 <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I do see myself as an adolescent puppy at times. So that works. David, as I, as I warned you, right. My, my podcast centers on human connection. You're, you know, you're a sales guy. You, you, you get human connection deeply. I have this thesis that the best way for you to connect with somebody is to add value to their life and share a vulnerability. So we're going to add a bunch of value in this conversation. I'm going to ask you, you know, what are you, what are you struggling with right now? What's something you struggled with in the past? And we can start there. And then we'll talk about your, your genius. Oh, well, I don't know about the genius, but yeah, it's, you know, struggling wise, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with in entrepreneurs and I'm, I'm no different is just focus and priority. You know, it's, it's the easiest thing. There's a million books on focus and prioritization, but it's the hardest thing to operationalize because we get so distracted 
And especially now where, you know, we're all, I mean, you know, we're still in the middle of pandemic and many of us are still quarantining and there's a lot of uncertainty and, you know, you're at home and I'm here with my kids and my wife, who's a teacher and everyone's kind of, you know, we're online doing all, and it makes it difficult, you know, to, to focus. So that's the thing I always struggle with trying to build the business and, and just kind of, you know, keep my head in the game is like, what, what should I be focusing on? That's always a big struggle for me. Oh, man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Where do we, this should be the topic of the entire time that we should spend together. Yeah. Listen, man, I, it's not something that comes up often, right? Like the number one thing people say is imposter syndrome, right? Like that's like 60 to 70% of people say that focus comes up every, every, every so often, man. And it's, that's my biggest struggle too, right? Like I, by far, right. I've, I've, that's always been my thing. Like this year is the year of discipline for me, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to just really zone in on stuff. What do you, have you found any, are you adapting any kind of like tools or methodologies that you've looked into that have helped you kind of like tackle this thing? Or are you still just on the like, man, I just need to focus stage. It's an ongoing concern, but I, I think, you know, so I used to do this in one of the books that I love, you know, I got a b- bunch of books behind me. One of the books I'm fanatical about is the book called The One Thing, The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. And mm-hmm. and this just this idea of like every day before you, spe- before you start to do something, ask yourself, what's one thing I can do? What's the one thing I can do such that everything else I could do would be made easier or unnecessary? And then I borrow a tip from Atomic Habits, which I, you know, book many people have read. I also like... And it's funny because when I think about like writing a book, so when I wrote my book and it's funny, I don't want to, I'm going to go on a, just a little wee tangent here. So imposter syndrome. So when you start a business, you know, no matter what experience you have and, you know, and and how well you think you're set up, the first thing that maybe goes through your mind or like did my mind, which is, I just want someone to pay me to do anything. Right. You know, it's, it's like, I, it's easy to work for a company. You're part of the machine, but now that it's all about you and, and your vision, I hope this catches on. And then when you write a book, you write a book almost in, you know, in isolation and you do all this work to publish the book and who's read it, the editor, who's not your target audience. You know, they're just looking for certain things. And you think, I hope people like this book, you know, and every piece of content you put out, you're like, I hope people, you know, so there's always not, not, I wouldn't say imposter syndrome per se, certainly at the, you know, maybe a little bit more at the beginning, but then as it, as you put new stuff out into the world, I'll tell you every time I do an email, but this is like between us and, you know, no one else is listening. Every time I put out an email blast, you know, like every week or two, and it's going out to thousands of people, I get like a little nervous, you know, it's like, what, what if they don't like this? Or is this going to hit the center of the target for them? Right. So anyways, what, so the thing back to James Clear and Atomic Habits, not, one that, we, that, not that we lost focus there. We didn't lose focus. Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, there's a lot of things bouncing around in my head was that how am I going to write a book? Because you can't write a book in 15 minute increments. Like I can't just sit down. I'll just do like 15 minutes of writing, right? You have to have focused, concentrated time. And so some of the hacks I did, to be honest, you know, I would take my kids to their, you know, their sports and athletic stuff. And I wrote a bunch of the book in the car while I was waiting for them, right? Like I'm sitting there in my car. There's no, just maybe, maybe I'm tethered on my phone, but like, there's no distractions, right? Even little things like, you know, removing distractions. So I would have my my Google Docs open in a window, but my emails and other things that were, you know, other tabs in my browser, I would minimize to my doc. So my tendency to alt tab and just, oh, oh, let me just check email. I caught myself. So back to the idea of focus and prioritization, it's all about asking yourself, like, what's the one thing? And then also like building a bunker and eliminating as many distractions as you can to save yourself from yourself oftentimes. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. I do some of my best work on an airplane, right? Like just like you focus in and you do the stuff that you were normally going to distract you. What was the what was the one thing for today? What was today's one thing? Oh, you know, so the one thing we were kind of talking about this earlier was was content repurposing. So I have an assistant who helps me with some of my, you know, like she'll, she does great work. She takes some of my videos and kind of chunks them up. And, you know, the, the last thing I want, I don't want her waiting on me. Right. Like I want to make sure that that she has enough stuff to work on and that if you know if there's stuff that's in my inbox that she's waiting on me for, that I tackle that. So that was my one thing for today. I had a number of videos and pieces of content to go through to make sure she's productive. And that's look, when you got a team, that's what you got to do. That's your job is to clear clear the way for them to do the thing that they're great at. Yeah, man. That weighs as as I've grown my team, that weighs heavily on me. Right. Like I like that's actually made me because I'm very ex- extrinsically motivated, right? Like so. As my team grows, I find myself more like, well, I got to do this for the team, right? Like mm-hmm. as, as opposed to before, I'd be like, eh, we're going to do this, you know, I don't care, right? Like, but that's cool, man. All right, <laughs> let's, this is not a therapy. Actually, it's going to turn into sales therapy mm-hmm. pretty quickly here, David. I love, man, when I heard you, when I heard you talking about selling how, the way that you buy, right? Like that immediately, just that title by itself and the way that you approach it, struck deep in with me, right? Because I, as anybody that loves connection, I'm a communications nerd and the acceptance that it's all about the way that you receive the, the, the way the person receives the message versus the way that you say it, right? Like it's, it's, that's what it's all about. So selling the way you buy is something that's very natural to me. Can you kind of, can you give me like the, the brief history of how you got to this point and like what upset you about the way that people sell that made you start this platform and write this book? Yeah. Well, look, like everyone who ends up in sales, I got here by accident. Like no one, because we don't teach it in school. No one says, oh, you should, you know what you should be in when you grow up is you should go into sales. So I got into sales by accident at the turn of the dot-com boom. And I ended up starting my career as a research scientist. I was doing work in, in engineering at the University of Toronto, we were talking about earlier. And uh, I ended up getting into sales. I joined a startup as a sales engineer. And I was fast, instantly fascinated by sales. It was like, you know, why didn't anyone, my guidance t- counselor tell me that this is a thing you could do because it combines so many, so many wonderful, complex systems, right? So many different variables and so many different inputs and outputs. So for me, my engineering mindset was like, this is amazing. But then, you know, as I kind of got, you know, deeper into sales and I look, I spent 20 years across four high growth startups and, and three of them ended up being acquired. And one was acquired by Salesforce and spent five awesome years. So I love, love, love sales so much. However, I found that a lot of the tactics that salespeople use and that we are, in, especially in sales leadership, we're conditioned to promote and propagate, they're not unethical, hopefully, and they're not categorically ineffective. But I just found when I was a VP, for example, at Salesforce, it's the end of the month, end of the quarter, and I'm going out and I'm telling my team, you know, hey, look, tell the customers there's never been a better time to buy. And like that, like every month was the, supposed to be the biggest month we ever had. And I love, love, love Salesforce. And, and again, amazing company, amazing team. But then what I would do is I would go back to my desk. And because I was a VP at Salesforce, people wanted to sell me stuff all the time. So all of people, are salespeople, BDRs, they're, they're inbounding to me and I'm having none of it. Right. Like I'm I'm not answering the phone. I'm not responding to LinkedIn because I realized I don't like talking to salespeople. Right. Even and salespeople are not bad people, by the way. But a lot of salespeople are just executing these old, outdated tactics that some of which have been shown to be counterproductive. And they're not bad people. They're just doing the thing that they're the, their sensei taught them. And so that's kind of where this idea of sell the way by came from, which was the all these tactics, which were fine, were just not working on me. And so I thought, well, you know, this is the profession that I love. And when you tell someone you're in sales, you become the enemy. That's not good. 
So like, how can we be better sellers, more empathetic, use tactics that are rooted in, in science that actually work and just be more human. And that's where the idea came from. Awesome. I, I would love to, so I'm a huge fan of, I'm a big fan of like category design, right? And I'm a big fan of people with interesting titles, right? Like I've always made my own title, right? So chief executive connector is my little thing. You are chief sales scientist, right? Talk to me about, talk to me about how that title fits into A, your strategy of what you're trying to do and B, talk to me about the scientific process. Like, are you like hypothesis tests report kind of stuff <laughs> on, on like sales tactics? Like tell, tell me about that. Well, I wish I could tell you there was this massive grand design to it, but you know, I didn't feel it was appropriate when I started my business as a as a as an army of one to call myself a CEO. You know, founder seemed okay, but you know, I wanted to communicate what it was I did. And it's funny, so I just like literally one night, because I always I always thought of myself as a like, what does a scientist do? A scientist loves to learn. And that's the thing that I still love to do the most in the world. I love to learn, I love to assimilate new knowledge. I feel like you know, Keanu Reeves in uh, The Matrix, where he gets unplugged and he's like, oh, I know Kung Fu now. Like, I like reading something or learning something and feeling just a little bit smarter. That, for me, is amazing. And then, you know, I also love to synthesize. And I love to, you know, to teach and explain what I know to other people. And uh, and, and that's what I did throughout my academic career and, and sales career. And so, sales scientists seem to, you know, be like a good title. So, I just came up with it one night. And to be honest, I'll tell you, like, it's it's, and I'm sure you probably find the same with yours as well. People really like it and people reach out just to say, oh, like, you know, cool title. Right. And so it just, it just kind of stuck. I think, I think, you know, I've always been this like Huck Finn kind of character, right? Like I've just like, as a kid, I always would talk to anybody and I'd eh, give you a nickname, whatever, like the power of a nickname, right. Or a title or whatever, I think is really, really powerful. Like what, what you're saying, I mean, whole, has held true for me forever. Right. Like I giving yourself I was telling you about being director of sustainability, right? Like that title didn't really exist when I got my consulting company acquired by my by my biggest client. And I was like, I just want to be, let's call me director of sustainability kind of thing. And it got me in so many rooms, right? As, oppo- as opposed to if I would have been like green building certification guy, like it just, it's just a totally different, how it comes off is, is effective. And I find that really emotionally intelligent people kind of use that trick often. So I, I'm, I'm like fascinated by it. But look, I think your title is a great metaphor for what we're actually talking about in the world of modern selling, which is so much of what we do in the world of business and selling is is rooted in, well, that's what my boss did. And so that's what I'm going to do. Or you have like even in training, it's a lot of, well, here's what I did. Here's what you should do. And so it's funny, actually, when I train my clients, a common unfortunate reaction is a lot of them at the end will say, this is great. I thought it was going to suck because most sales training sucks right? Because it's just some jerk standing about at the front of the room talking about how you're going to close your customers and and they don't want to hear that. And so we get stuck in these ruts of titles and process and see, I'm Canadian, so I say process, titles and process and systems and so on. And when we break out, when we call ourselves chief chief executive connector and chief sales scientist, it's like, it's refreshing and new for people and more descriptive. And we can do the same thing with how we sell and how we build our businesses. I love it, man. So I'm I'm also a big fan of, I've, I've been in a really big marketing rabbit hole. So all these terms are very, just like, I'm a fan of this and that strategic narrative, right? Like the idea that old game versus new game. And, and in what you're saying, I hear, I hear a lot of old game versus new game. So I, I guess I'll ask you in that, in that fashion, because I think it's an effective way to communicate, but what is, what was the old game in selling and what is the new game now that, that, that is selling how you're buying? Give me, give me a little bit about that. 
Well, there, there's a couple things. There's just just tactics in general that we know don't work and, and never really worked all that well. Things like what I've referred to as closing tactics, right? So we're at the end of our conversation, we're in the car dealership or whatever it is, and they say, you know, Pablo, is there any reason why you don't think you could make a decision today, right? Even little things like when you're in a retail environment, you walk into like the Gap or a store and someone says, excuse me, sir, can I help you find something? What, like, what do you say? No, leave me alone, man. You say, no, no, you know, I'm just looking, right? Because if yeah, I say I'm yes. Just, I'm just even looking at some people. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm giving consent for you to do yeah. your sleazy sales stuff to me, right? And these are the things that we used to, to teach people to do, to kind of corner people and limit their ability to choose freely. But we now know that that produces an emotional reaction in the mind of our customers of resistance. And so, you know, th- these are some of the scientific principles we found that, that have, you know, kind of flipped the switch. But also one of the, and that's just, you know, irrespective of how people buy, but also today with the advent of the internet and, you know, sites, Amazon and TripAdvisor and all that kind of stuff, the way we buy is a lot different. And, and I, you know, everyone's heard, oh yeah, people are way down the, the sales cycle, even before they contact a, a sales rep, they try to find as much as they can. So buyers are educated. There's so many more solutions, forget like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, five years ago, and I talk about this in my book in 2011. There was 150 vendors in the marketing technology space, okay? 2020, now it comes out in April every year. So we're almost due for like a new new survey, over 8,000 vendors. So in addition to all of kind of, you know, the, 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 you know the, the choice that's out there and kind of the way people now, you know, buy and the way they think and the tactics people use, it's in, in the peer reviews, the world of buying has changed so much. So that when we think about tactics, we have to use tactics that are not only rooted in scientific principles, the way people think and buy and react, but also for the environment that we find ourselves in. And those are kind of the two biggest things that have changed the landscape in selling. Dude, environment is so important, man. Like for me, it's like context is 95% of it all, right? Like what's, what's, what's been the change in the environment? Like what do, you, what do you see in the environment that has to make us adjust the psychology of the tact or the tactics according to the same psychology, right? Well, like I said, one of the biggest things is just the sheer number of solutions in the market in any given category. So that's like problem one. Problem two is most of us are also, let's say, in the, even in the technology space, coming up with new and innovative products and services that people have never seen before. And the, the ability to start a company and to create a product is, is easier in the best possible way, I said, the easier to be than it's, it's ever been before. Like you can spin up a product, venture you know, money is easier to get than it was 10, 20 years ago. And so the barrier is very low. But what you end up with is that people that fall in love with their product that have a very difficult time explaining to someone else what it is they do. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is just distractions, especially, and I think it's definitely come out in the last year or so, there's so many things that we're focusing on, right? And so most of our customers spend a fraction of a percentage of the time giving a crap about what it is that you do, right? And so while you think you are the star of your own movie in the center of the universe, your customers don't care. So all of these things are, are, are kind of conspiring against us, which is why we need different approaches and tactics to connect with customers. And, and I, you know, not fancy, not like subversive or subliminal, just human tactics. And that's the idea of where sell the way you buy comes from. It's like, just understand the way people make decisions in this environment and align your sales marketing motion accordingly. Listen, I, I very much echoed with all of that because you just described me to a T, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm like I am, I'm so in love with my product, and yet I think that I am 
for whatever reason, either over communicating it or under, you know, like I, like I, I have a lot of conversations that go from this is brilliant to this is not for me. Right. So I would love to, <laughs> I would love to dive into it, man. If you're, if, if, if you're up for it, right. Like you, you, you train teams and whatnot. Right. So like, how would you start? Like, what should I start thinking about analyzing? Like what, what do I need to be, what, what questions do I need to be asking myself right now? Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, there's kind of two things that bounce around in my head. Number one is not falling in love with the product, but rather falling in love with the problem. Because that's what your customers think about every day. They don't give a crap about your product. They think about their problems. Even, you know, they might, and they have problems that are, are hidden, that they're latent. And, but when you call them out, it's like, if you ever seen a really good infomercial, I love infomercials, by the way. Whenever you see a good infomercial, you start the show thinking, I don't, whatever this is, I don't need it. And then by the end, you're thinking, oh my gosh, how did I live without it? Because they focus just as much on the problem that you're trying to solve. You know, you're trying to lose weight, get in shape, get health, whatever it is. It, it, you know, so that's the, you know, the, the first thing they focus on uh, the problem more than the product. And then what they also do in, in terms of like communicating our value is we use like emotionally charged words and terms to, to kind of, to elevate that problem to the point where our customers you know, have to pay attention. And again, we do this in a very human way. And, and the way we do that is by focusing on the problem, but also what our customers value, and and by and I think value is a term that gets grossly overused. And what I mean by that, and we and I'll just drop this, and then we can, if you want to go deeper, because I could go on like this for oh, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Value. So one of the things I talk about in my content in my book, which is a huge thing that that salespeople, especially leaders, get wrong, is value and return on investment are two completely different things. So we go out and, you know, as sales leaders, we go out and we tell our teams, go sell value, go sell value. And really what we're meaning to say is go sell the return on investment. If you invest money in Pablo and his business, then you will either make more money than what you had to give Pablo, or you will save more money than you gave Pablo or some combination thereof, right? And and we think, well, like if if we present this very logical case, then it's going to move people to purchase. You would be stupid not to spend this money with me if you're going to get this return on investment. But the reality is that is not how people buy. People do not buy based on logic and reason and return on investment. They buy based on feelings. And so if you've ever put together a return on investment or business case to a cut, like every salesperson's had this situation where they put together a business case for the customer, they look at it and they say, the customer's never going to believe this. The ROI is too fast. You know, the, you know, even though we're using these right assumptions, like I got to put something more reasonable together. And I say, well, what's that? Now we're massaging the business case to do one thing, to make the customer believe it, right? Believe that that eventuality, that outcome is going to be brought about. And the last time I checked, belief is a discretionary feeling and not an objective statistic. So you want to get good at describing what you do, focus on the problem, right? Number one. And then number two, really focus on the discretionary feelings of value, that your buyers are paying for and focus your message on that. Amazing, dude. Amazing. I'm like sitting here, you know, <laughs> nodding my head and giggling because it's so good. So I'm in love with my, I definitely market my problem, right? That's very a, a category design thing, right? Like, and I've, and I've been working on that one. Like I've been working on how to phrase that problem before I would talk about relationship scaling. Now I kind of talk about it in this old game versus new game of in the past, you know, the more, 
people are used to seeing your salesperson as the number one thing that that you interact with in order to find out about the company. But ever since the advent of social media and 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 since 2008, now as consumers, we are trained to understand that you know as much as we want before we actually engage, even down to dating, right? Like even like that's what Tinder is, right? Like you are finding out everything about people or 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 or, or making or LinkedIn, right? Like you could check me out before you could decide whether you want to respond to my DM or not, right? Yeah. And and we are still creating this friction of that, right? So my answer is a live weekly show where you make this content, you interact with the people that they, they can come, no friction. You can be building relationships and then create all this content that becomes another way to contextualize and, and learn. Right. So that's, that's the first thing uh, that I, that I talk about now and I call it the relationship flywheel. And then, and then I describe it, you know, in the, in the methodology, right. I generally end up getting to the point where they're like, this is amazing. Oh man. I just don't know if I have time. Like I, you know, th- this, it's usually a time thing. They they usually say, I'm focused on a couple of other things. I don't know if I can take this on right now. When mm-hmm. I'm saying this will, you know, this takes three hours a week and then boom, you have your business development engine, right? So like, what can you, is there anything that you can discern from that on like how to do that better? Well, even, you know, if I can, if I can be so bold, even the way you, you started describing what you do, it's like, oh, there's, it's this weekly webinar, this weekly thing. And we, you know, that's what you do. It's almost like, think about how would you describe what you do if I told you that you need to get 75% of the way through your pitch before you can even talk about what it is like you actually do, right? So I might say, so what do I do? I train salespeople. That's what I do. But there's a million people that train sales. Why should you care about, you know, working with me? So I start falling in love with the problem. I say, look, you know, look, sales is hard and it's gotten harder than it's ever been. People are distracted. They don't want to hear from a salesperson. You're the enemy. In fact, the data, you know, supports that. There's a lot of bad salespeople out there, but I'll tell you, a lot of these bad salespeople, they're not bad people. They're just using old outdated tactics that were taught to them by someone else, right? I believe if you want to be successful in sales in the modern era, you have to use tactics that are rooted in science Mm -hmm. and empathy, right? Because people love to buy things, but they hate talking to salespeople. I, now, I would I just went on like a 15-second narrative there yeah, yeah. without describing what I actually do at all. Yeah. And if you believe what I believe, if you, if you buy into like selling is harder than ever before, people are distracted, people don't want to hear from a salesperson, you're the enemy. You know, there's a lot of bad tactics out there, but not bad people. People have to buy things, hate talking to salespeople. Now you're leaning in and you're saying... Tell, tell me more about this, right? And in my last company, we were all about advocate marketing, not so far away from what you do. And what we would say is, I mean, look, they said, look, no one bought anything risky or expensive because of an email that they got from your company t- talking about this white paper that you have, okay? People don't want to hear, people don't want to hear from your marketing department. Conversion rates on, you know, on marketing and so on are dropping. And yet the data tells us, for example, the Edelman Trust Barometer, which is a report I love to cite every couple of years they come out with this, one of the things that people value in terms of opinions more than anything else is the opinion of someone like them. That's why, you know, all of these peer review sites and so on are so powerful. So the question is in your organization, what are you doing to amplify the voice of your customer and in an authentic way, right? And put someone in front of your customer they actually want to hear from. That's what we do. And I'm, I'm just, I'm paraphrasing you here, Right. And so the fact that it's a weekly webinar, it's a, it's an event, who cares what it is, right? I mean, I'm being facetious, right? But um, the, 
The most important thing is I need to fall in love with the problem. And and by the way, if you're selling, who are you selling to? Are you selling to you know to marketing leaders or and, and business owners yeah, and so on? Mar- mar- yeah, business owners and and you know revenue leaders, right? So VP of sales, CMO, you know stuff like that. So getting in the head of those people and thinking, well, what is it that they value? Even I'll go I'll go so far. Like think about this: Why would someone invest in sales training? Okay, this is what I do. Why would someone invest in sales? Why would you? Why are you paying me money to come into your team? Now, look, for some people, like the obvious answer is I'm going to teach your team some new tactics and strategies and so on, and it's going to have an impact on their conversion rate. They're going to sell more business. They're going to convert more customers. And there is, boom, there's your ROI. But why else would you invest in sales training? Well, maybe as a company, you've never invested in sales training before. And you know what's happening? People are leaving your company and they're telling you on the exit interview that we're leaving because you never invested in us, right? That's another reason. Another reason why? People are are isolated. People are at home. They're on Zoom meetings all day. They need something new and different and something that shows them that their companies are investing in them, right? Or maybe, you know, maybe I'm in charge of sales enablement or sales training and nothing I've done, none of the projects that I've spearheaded in the last couple of years have been effective. The sales team hasn't liked them and I'm going to lose my job if I don't bring in something that the team actually likes. All of those reasons are reasons why people invest in sales training. But we tend to just focus on one of them, right? It's like, that's our default go-to. So for you or, or anyone who has a business, you have to think of the things that your customers value in terms of like a larger spectrum. And what is it about that person or their role or their company? Look, in the pandemic, you might be working probably with some customers that are just hanging on and are going to go out of business unless you swoop in to help them. Okay. And what's the ROI of that? In many ways, it's partially immeasurable, right? So really thinking about like, what is your customer value? How has that value changed over time? How has it changed in the last year? And how are you aligning your sales motion accordingly? Dude, I'm hearing you, man. This is really, really, really good. It's 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 fascinating to me how the carpenter has shitty cabinets, right? Like <laughs> I, I, I'm so good at positioning something like that for somebody else. And I'm like, what you're describing is literally the methodology of how we design what the show is going to be about, right? <laughs> Yet I, I can't figure it out for myself kind of thing. So like getting you to tell me that from the outside, like it's 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 wonderful, man. I really, really really good advice. And as I and as I think about what you're saying, what I'm thinking in my head is oh, okay. These are people buying. So when I talk to the CMO, I'm probably going to be talking about all this content that you get to play with. When I'm talking to the business, you know, the the, the sales leader, I'm talking about, dude, your salespeople aren't going to waste time talking to people that aren't actually going to buy. Like they're going to crush their conversion. And what I struggle the most with is what I, when I'm talking to the business owner, right? Like the business owner is like, oh yeah, but isn't my salesperson doing that? Or isn't my marketing person doing that? And I'm trying to, and I'm like in this part where it's like going to enable both of them. But what would you think that the benefit to that, I guess it would be the investing in them. It would be the feeling supported. Like what, what, what do you think the, the angle to approach the business owner on who has on CMO and has a VP of business development and they're the final decision when the other two below them have bought in? So I guess the question is, what is that? And by the way, you're totally right to think about, and I I say this as well, when people describe what they do, the way you describe what you do depends on two things. Number one, who's asking, right? So my wife, God bless her, she's a teacher. When her teacher friends ask me, so David, what do you do? Like, oh, I train salespeople, right? Because I know they don't care. They're just trying to put me in like a box, right? They're trying to label me. But when a VP of sales asks me what I do, I might answer that question differently. Mm -hmm. So the question is, you know, who's asking, 
And then what product am I positioning? Because I might have lots of different products, right? You might have different products and services. So, so people sometimes think that they need to come up with like the one statement to describe what they do that's going to rule them all, the best elevator pitch, when reality is it just depends on who you're talking to. And it's okay to actually withhold that statement. So in the case of your question about the business owner, mm-hmm. you know, is there a blanket statement that every single business owner is going to care about? Maybe not, right? So, and it's actually okay because even in a discussion, I can learn a little bit more about you before I bring out my statement. Like imagine you were a personal trainer and someone comes in looking for personal training. You wouldn't start out by saying, oh, you, you, you would look them up and down and say, okay, you look pretty fit. You look like you're about this age. Let me guess. Here's what you're here for, right? Like you would say, no, like what brings you in? You would learn a little bit about what you think you know, you're developing this hypothesis of what they could use, what they're telling you, what they're not telling you. And then you can lean in. So to your question about the business owner, it really all depends. You know, like sometimes you have a business owner that's very hands-off. It's actually something I've learned over the course of time with many CEOs that I've worked with in my businesses. Some of them are just very happy to delegate and like, the, you know, they're they're just, you know, the, the team runs everything. And some have the final say in, in every single decision. So you just have to start out by asking like, who, who are you dealing with here? Right. And then tailor accordingly. So good, man. <laughs> so good. Easy to say. It's easy to say, man. That's what I mean. You know, it's easy to say, you know, hard but to it's the right move, right? Like you gotta, yeah. I, listen, man, I was just listening to my buddy, Jerry McNamara's like presentation about building accountable culture. And it's like everything he said. And I was like, yeah, duh. Yeah, duh. But it's like, no, but it's putting it together and doing it right. <laughs> like, like it, you know, and I wasn't saying, yeah, duh, like despectively. I was just like, yeah, of course. Right. Like, but like listening to it again, I was like, oh man, this is really good stuff. So it's the same as what you're saying, right? People, people like me need people like you to reinforce and, and, and to continue to like contextualize and clarify until it lands right. And I get to the one iteration where I actually nail it. Right. And then, well, look, and you're absolutely right. You know, it, as I say in my, it, it's funny. So as I say, what usually when I start my training with my clients is they say, everything that I'm going to talk about here today, it's not, nothing's going to be rocket science. You know, like some things you might be hearing for the first time, but you'll, you'll figure it out. It's like, you ever watch the Olympics? I know we have like the Olympics coming up. You watch the Olympics and you see what they're doing. And there's actually quite a lot of sports. You're like, I could do that. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I could do that. And of course, if you trying to do it, you would really hurt yourself, yeah. but it looks simple enough when they do it. Right. And, and selling is the same thing. Like, it sounds really simple. There's lots of books on how to focus and how to lose weight and get in the best shape of your life. But that knowing doing gap is very real. And I tell people, I say, it's okay to suck. When you learn a new tactic, you're going to try to go and, and use it with a customer and it's going to fail and you're going to suck for a little while until you get better. And that's okay. Like, that's why we all have to help and, and pick each other up and keep giving each other advice. I love it, man. I love it. I want to. I, I want to pick your brain on. You know, we we've talked about this before the call, but you are a sales guy growing a company. What is your? You know, and 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 we talked about the role of content in 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 your business development efforts. Can you kind of describe to me the role of content in your business development efforts, and then we can kind of dig into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, content is everything for a number of reasons. Number one, I'm a small business. I'm mostly, you know, one guy. So in order for me to touch other people, I, I can't rely on me being in front of everyone. So there's the content. Number two, you know, a lot of these, these topics I talk about, some of them are new and, and different and interesting. And so, so I, I put that content out in the world because it acts like a magnet, almost like a lightning rod saying like, here's what I believe. And if you believe what I believe, then then we're going to work really well together. So it's a great, you know, n- never mind, you know, in terms of creating interest, it's a great business development tool to get like-minded customers 
you know, raising their hand. And also part of my mission is to do what I can to, to change the world of sales. And I can't do that just one guy, right? So, so, so the content is, you know, it is all about reinforcing that. The thing that sometimes I struggle with, not, I wouldn't say struggle, but it's always like a, is a, is a thing I think about. People consume all sorts of different types of content. And I find, you know, I can blog and people love the blogs and, and some people are religious YouTube videos. I recently released the audiobook version of my book. So if you feel like listening to six and a half hours of me reading my own book, by all means, and the sales of the audiobook are almost on par slash outpacing the print book because there's a fanatical audience out there of people who just listen to audiobooks. So the question is always, well, what content should I make? Should I kind of sprinkle it around? Should I focus on one thing? You know, should I focus it on a specific medium? Is there a best way to share it? You know, once it's there. So these are the things that, you know, they, and this evolves, of course, over the, uh, the course of time. So I would tell you to think of it as, the same thing we're talking about. It's context, right? Like all these, all these different things you described are different contexts and everybody it's like language or culture, right? So like some people speak YouTube, some, some people speak Instagram memes, some people speak LinkedIn clips, some people speak blog, right? To me, it's, it's no different than getting your book translated into 30 languages, right? Like, so, so the key, the, the, the key for me of, what works best in content is find your voice and then just recontextualize all of it because it, you know, people listen in different ways right now, as you're, as you're speaking, I'm happy that you came out with the audiobook because that's how I consume content, right? Like mm-hmm. my, my, my ability to read your entire book would is 30% my ability to listen to your book. So, so now I'm super in, but that's, that's fascinating that you, that you see it that way. And the beauty of it, you know, this is why I want to kind of teach you my content repurposing thing, right? Like, <laughs> like the beauty of it, it's only going to get easier and easier to, to not have to worry about the cross context stuff, right? Like there's plenty of now like repurposing context co- companies that have come up, the editing software is getting better and better and better and better, which I think is, is encouraging, man. Cause I, I, I agree with you. I think that what's always, I've always said I'm a world-class opener and a mediocre closer, right? Like I, like I'm, I'm real good at getting it in the top of the funnel. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's always just been how much how often can you show up in someone's life and how much, you know, how, how memorable are you when you do it? Right. Like if, if, if those things go up, right. I'll tell you, there's, I think we, there's some, you know, sales trainers and sales, you know, gurus, you might call them that I don't particularly care for that we, we won't talk about. However, I do believe that we can learn something from everyone. And so yeah. there's a fellow, I won't, I won't mention uh, him, but I actually don't mind him too much. He trains, uh, car dealership salespeople. And one of the things that I saw him talk about in a video was he said, you know, one of the mistakes, he wanted, he's like, you want to know what the loser sales, the car salespeople do? They want referrals, right? So what do they do? They wait till the, the person buys the car, they're about to drive off the lot, and they say, you know, Pablo, do you know anyone else who might be looking to buy a car? You know, and Pablo is thinking, this is not what's top of mind for me right now, but sure, I'll send whoever I got your way, right? And then, you know, you, then they drive off and they disappear and, and maybe you see them, you know, every now and then when you, you take your car to the dealership or whatever it is. He's like, you know what the, the top car salespeople do? They stay in their, exactly what you said, you, they stay in their customer's life, right? They keep adding value. They're, it's not just, oh, hey, are you ready for a new car? They ask questions about the car. They remember their birthdays. They, not in an intrusive or creepy way. They're helpful. They're always there. And now when my friend Pablo says, you know, hey, do you know anyone I'm looking for a car? Well, guess who's there? The person who's been in my life the whole time. 
So that's part of the thing with content as well is just being around, right? And being, you know, uh, to the extent that you're not being recognized for just being a name, but being recognized as someone who actually puts out helpful stuff. Like we talked about the power of reciprocity, helpful stuff that aligns with your target audience is a great way just to stay in people's lives, right? And then when they need you, you're, you've always been there. Hundred percent, man. Like, <laughs> I, I I totally agree. It's to me, it's that final conversion point, right? <laughs> like, but I think I think the the bigger the funnel, the top of the funnel is, the better you're going to do on the bottom of the funnel. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's perfectly correlated, right? You you said you were telling me a story. Do you want to talk about it? This like the 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 most ROI you've gotten out of the stuff that you were doing in Salesforce. Sure, kind of, yeah, kind of absolutely. I'd love to dig into like what that was. Yeah. Well, so part of my backstory is that one of my startups was acquired by Salesforce and that's how I got to work there. And I was there for five awesome years. I love my experience at Salesforce, but I've also been a Salesforce customer a few times. And, you know, a lot, sometimes they can't help it, but a lot of the events that they they do in the content, there's like a punchline, right? And the punchline is, you know, we're talking about the future of A, B, and C. And look, I, you know, I don't want to single out Salesforce. A lot of companies do the same thing which is they come to this webinar to learn about the future of whatever, what's the top, you know, top of mind in the market today. And then it's kind of like a thinly veiled product pitch. Like at the end, there's like, we're, and the customers are waiting for that pitch to come, right? And so when I was at Salesforce, one of the things I said was, I said, look, I've been a Salesforce customer a bunch of times. I love working here, but there's lots of things that we can do to add value to our customers that don't involve, you know, pitching a product or having a, a, a punchline at the end. And so one of the things that we did, we used to, I used to run small business sales for the Eastern U.S. So we would go to various cities throughout the U.S. And, and oftentimes cities where we didn't have an office, you know, like we had offices in New York and Atlanta and so on. We'd go to Cincinnati, we'd go to Columbus, Ohio, you know, and we, Pittsburgh, and we would pull together these customer dinners. And what we would do is we would invite, you know, 10 to 15 C-level executives from our customers. And we said, look, the focus of the dinner was just to talk about, you know, kind of what's top of mind for all of us to share, to expand our networks and so on. And of course, they're probably showing up to these dinners saying, okay, there's probably going to be like a pitch somewhere here, but whatever, free dinner on Salesforce, why not? And so they would show up and, and it's funny, we were talking about the book, The One Thing. What I would do is I would buy a copy of The One Thing for all of the executives at the dinner. And I would say, now for me, like it was, it was, a, it was kind of a good opportunity because I was a Salesforce customer just like them. And I was acquired by Salesforce. So a lot of people like that story. And I said, look, I, you know, I'm, I, I struggle with focus and prioritization. We talked about this at the beginning of the show, full circle, all the time. And I know, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I did. And I'm sure as you, as executives, leaders at your company, you struggle with the same thing as well. And so let's have a discussion about focus and prioritization. Here's one of my favorite books. We had a quiet, this is the formula. We had a quiet discussion, two, three hours of dinner. There's no one talking over each other. We do drinks at the beginning. No one's talking over each other. We go around the table. Everyone says their piece. We, we, we comment and help that person. We move, we move on to the next one. Those were the highest ROI events that we did, meaning the most revenue came from those customers out of any other event, I think, including Dreamforce, we did. And, and why? Because it wasn't, we were, and by the way, we said, we do not want to talk about Salesforce at these dinners. And of course, you know, when you sell, tell people not to, they kind of talk about that a little bit. But what happened was they, we added so much value to them. They had so much affinity for Salesforce that they lent, they leaned in and they said, well, okay, you know, we earned the right to talk more about our product. And I'll tell you the reps that service these customers told me, they, they would say like, look, you know what the best thing about these events were? The customer took my call. When I called them at the end of the quarter to get the deal done and I wanted the signature, 
we had added so much value. They took my call. And, and so my advice to everyone out there, and this goes part and parcel, it's all self-reinforcing, Pablo, like the content as well, just add value. I, I don't gate any of my content. You go to my channels, my, like, you don't even have, you don't have to even give me your email, right? Just, I want to get the content out there to add value. And then, you know, people reach out to me and they, and it's almost like, like, as I said, I've been in their life the whole time adding value. They're playing my videos at their team meetings and it's a great way to start the relationship. So my advice to you, you're thinking about, and this is what Pablo you're doing in your business. Yep. You're adding value to your customers yep. in, a, in a, there's no pitch at the end. You know, there's a, an arm's length. Hey, look, you know, these people that we're talking, they're not customers of ours all the time. Like they're thought leaders or people just add value. Add, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, the biggest marketing secret that everyone knows about. Right. And that's what worked for us at Salesforce. It's so funny, man. Cause I, I, you know, I've parachuted into marketing, right? Like I, I just been, I went from exec operator guy to business developer guy, but really it all came from this period in my life where I got really involved in nonprofits and the nonprofit game is very just like in a room networking all the time. And that's when I realized I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. First of all, the most influential people in town are the people on the boards of nonprofits. So it's the people that give the most are the most influential people in town. And the only way you create relationships, right? Like my Ace Ventura stick ran out, like, you know, I had a real shelf life <laughs> into my early thirties. Still works a little bit, but just doesn't have as wide an audience. But it was you got to add value, man. So like, really, really, it's been it's been amazing to me that it came from just very just networking kind of strategy, whatever. That's that's now what's being translated into sales and marketing, right? Like, I, like I think the more the more that we are exposed to real truths via the internet, the less we like anything other than the best stuff, right? So it's like you expect people to add value to your life, right? Yeah. And and, and especially now during periods of adversity, people don't have the mental bandwidth or tolerance. Actually, I feel like there's a process of natural selection happening where a lot of these tactics are dying out faster. That's actually, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of people are investing in sales training because they're realizing that the stuff that used to work a year ago isn't working as much anymore as people kind of open their eyes to, you know, the fact that they don't want any more distractions. They only need people in their lives with everything going on that are just going to help. Right. And people will remember, by the way, people will remember how you treated them. Like if you've ever been in like a tough position in life or you were injured or going through something, you will always remember how people treated you during that time. And now as a society, we are collectively moving through a similar time period and people will have long memories. It's actually, it's a physiological biochemical reaction that we have. I won't get into the science of it, but it's designed to help us figure out how to get out of tricky situations as, as, as like as animals essentially. And so if you treat people poorly now, they will remember when this is all over. Full circle back to the science sales guy, right? <laughs> sales, sales fascinating. Guy. It's bad. There's so, so much. It's so good. That's yeah. A, David, that was excellent, man. Can we can we move into the lightning round? You ready for the lightning round? Ba, ba, sure. ba, ba, ba. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what is your favorite restaurant? In what city is it? And what do you order? Oh, you know, okay. You know what? This is, you know, I always love like, these visceral reactions. So so there was a restaurant we went to many times. It was called the Big Rock Chop House. And it was in it was somewhere in Michigan. I think it was like in Dearborn, Michigan. We were doing a lot of work with automotive companies. And so we were there a lot. And it was just, you know, I had fantasized about this place. <laughs> we weren't there. That's t- There's been a lot of great restaurants, but, you know, top of mind, it's called the Big Rock Chop House. I think it was in, in Dearborn, Michigan. 
Nice. What do you, what do you order there? I ordered the, you know, the, the filet. And the thing I remember the most was the, the Bernays sauce. It was, I think it was the first time I had Bernays sauce and uh, just absolutely delicious. So I, I, I don't know if it's still around. It's been a long time, but you know, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Oh man. I don't need a, I don't need a lot of red meat, but right now you got my, uh, you got my mouth watering. Delicious. Um, all right. Great. What kind of content are you most into right now? This could be what Netflix and chill series you're into, or like what book you're reading or who's Who's, who's your favorite podcast person that you're following? Like what content are you most like going to right now? My primary source, it, it, it depends if you're talking about business or non-business content. My primary source of non-business content is YouTube. I actually don't watch a lot of TV. I'm not a, I'm not a higher, holier than that. Don't get me wrong. I got Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney. I got all that stuff for my family, but I just love the way that YouTube curates things for me. It's just, it's my, that's what it's designed to be. It's my TV. And I, I, you know, I don't mean to influence anyone else. I invested in the YouTube plus or what is it? YouTube premium, no commercials. It's a game changer. It's like the, every time it comes on, I'm so blissfully uh, happy with my investment, but, but that's, that's the primary, you know, YouTube is my primary thing for content. I obviously do a lot of reading, you know, a, a podcast every now and then articles. I'm a sucker for the science of, of everyday, you know, things that we do in everyday life. I love figuring things out. So it's, look, some of the stuff I follow even on YouTube are like lock pickers. I love pe- watching uh, barbecue people that do barbecue. I'm not a big barbecue guy, but I love watching other people do it. So I just love, you know, recipes, cooking shows. I love to cook. So you know, YouTube is is my primary source of, of content. Awesome. awesome, man. Great description. Any any really good particular book that you said you read a lot? Any really good book that you've read lately that you'd recommend for business or personal development or anything like that? Or well, fun- you know, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, I don't read any fiction. You know, you can you can criticize me all you want for that. I do. I believe in the value of fiction, but I I only read you know nonfiction books. And one of my you know favorite books continues to be Dan Pink's book to sell as human. I, I thought it was fa- I thought it was a great mix of kind of you know science and sociology, great synthesis of of modern selling. You know, and so you know if you could read one book, that's what I would probably say. But I'm also a big Simon Sinek fan. I have a this poster on the wall behind me. People often ask me what this is. This is actually a flip chart. That Simon Sinek used on stage in an event that I was at a number of years ago. He signed it for me. Anyway, so I love Simon Sinek stuff and I love uh, Leaders Eat Last actually is my favorite Simon Sinek book. Uh, start with Why is Great, but Leaders Eat Last I love as well. The, the science of leadership I find fascinating. Did you walk up to Simon Sinek after the presentation and say, can I get one of those slides and sign, and sign it for me? Or did you buy that thing at an auction or something? No, I didn't buy it. No. So so this was an event. It was called Sales Machine in 2016. So this was, I was back at Salesforce and it was a co-production of Salesforce and an organization called Sales Hacker. And so uh, the organizers of the event, so I was kind of in the hive at Salesforce. And so the organizers of the event knew I was a big Simon fan. So after the, after the, the talk, which by the way, so he has a book called The Infinite Game that just came out like, you know, a year or so ago, but he, you know, five years ago, riffed that talk on stage because Seth Godin kind of, you know, goaded him into doing it backstage. And this is what, you know, the the, the narrative was, but the organizers gave me the flip chart and uh, and I, I waited in line to meet Simon because uh, he was doing a book sign and so on. And he signed my copy of Leaders Eat Last. And I walked up with his flip chart and I'm like, do you mind if you like, can you like sign this for me? And then of course I had to like take it all the way back on the plane. And like, I couldn't put it in the overhead storage bin, but, uh, but yeah, it was just, you know, the, the organizers know as a Simon fan, so they gave it to me. Do you get to tell that story often? That's epic, dude. That's amazing. So I actually have, if you go on my YouTube channel, which is, yeah. if you just look up cerebral selling, which is the name of my business on YouTube, 
Um, I made a video about this Christmas Eve, 2018. The title of the video is called What's That Thing on the Wall Behind Me? So you can look it up and it tells the story and it's got some video clips of that, that event with Simon. Really cool. What is something that you were sure about in your 20s that you no longer believe? <sighs> That's a good question. Sure about in my 20s. I don't know. I think, you know, maybe that, you know, okay, I'd say the the biggest thing I have an appreciation for now is just the fact that you have to do what you're passionate about. You know, I don't think I had a a full, clear sense of that in the 20s. And I know everyone says that, but I think one of the things that I I value extremely uh, a great deal now is authenticity because people can tell, like people can tell if you don't believe in your product, they don't believe what you're selling. I even joke sometimes, I say, you know, when my kids, I got three kids, when they come to me and they're about to hit me up for something, like they want to lift up, like I can tell like immediately just by the way they, because they're being inauthentic. Right. And so, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that, especially now when there's a million solutions out there and, and there's so many distractions, like just, just be authentic. You know, I didn't fully appreciate the value uh, of that back in the day and just, just doing what you're passionate about. Cause if you do, it will come out and other people will see it and believe it and they'll feel it. And when they feel it, you know, it, it just makes everything so much easier. Amen, brother. Um, <laughs> what is uh, one piece of advice that you either like one great piece of advice someone's given you or your go-to piece of advice that you'd like to give everybody? I'll let you choose one. You know, so in addition to the authenticity, which I think is important, you know, people often think about like, what is it that I should do? Like, what should I do like when I grow up or what should I do as my next career move? And the one piece of advice, you know, I, I would say is like, rather than focus on it's and it's kind of funny, we're talking about, you know, how you describe what you do in terms of product. Like, don't focus on the product. Don't focus on the job. Don't focus on the title. Ask yourself, like, what do you want the parameters to be? Do you want to, you know, do you want to have freedom and flexibility to work on your own? Do you want to wear sweatpants every day? Do you want to work in office building? You want to manage people. You will not want to manage people. And and for clues, because some people are confused and they, they say, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Look back on your history now. So I'm 45 years old. When I now look back on, you know, 20 years ago and talking to 20 years ago, David, you know, I would say like, take a look at the things that you love to do. Forget what the job title was or what, because, that doesn't matter. What are the things, part of the job that you love to do and how can you do more of those things in each subsequent job that you move to? And that I think ultimately will lead you on the path to A, what you're meant to do and B, what you will be happiest doing. It's like, look for that pattern. Look for that pattern. Don't worry about the titles, the, the, you know, the job, the company, just focus on that. Because at the end of the day, what, what do we all, all want? We want to be happy. We want to feel f- fulfilled. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's something you only get perspective on later on is someone telling, you no, like, look at the patterns, you know, of, of the thing you love to do. Don't, don't obsess with like the title or the money or the job or anything like that. Follow what feels good. Man. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. David, before I ask you your last question, where do, you know, promote, promote your book, promote your website, promote your YouTube channels, right? I'm going to, I'm going to link to your blog, Cerebral Selling, your YouTube channel, your LinkedIn, your Instagram, your book title, but this is your moment, your stage, <laughs> promote whatever you want to promote, you know, like where, where does somebody that if somebody just had their mind blown by this conversation, like oh I did gosh. when I first heard you and like I am right now and wants to connect with you, what's the best place to get in contact with you? 
Well, look, you can always hit me up on LinkedIn. I always love when people, you know, you know reach out. So by all means, go and do that. But, you know, if you want to access my content, you can find me. My website is Cerebral Selling, all one word, dot com. Cerebral Selling on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter as well. And my book is called Sell the Way You Buy. And it's available wherever you buy, you know, Amazon people often go to, but wherever you buy books, you can get it. Awesome, man. Last question I ask everybody, where do you find community? Oh, you know what? So one of the things I do, I run a sales leadership meetup. You know, it's a, it's, it's not like a, it's a member organization, but it's free. Like I don't charge anything. And I do it because sales leadership is such an important role, leadership, coaching, culture. It's something that is really hard, deceptively hard. And something that a lot of organizations don't get any kind of training or coaching or investment in. And it can be a very lonely job, especially if you're the only one at your company. So I created a little community called the Sales Leadership Mastermind where I pull you know these leaders together and we talk about everything from lack of sleep during the pandemic to crazy CEOs that have unrealistic revenue expectations. So I find a great deal of community in that group of sales leaders because we're all going through a lot of the same things. Amazing, man. David, this has been one of those moments where I'm just like super happy I'm a podcaster. Right? Like the <laughs> The the ability to hear somebody that sounds really, really intriguing to you, reach out to them and have a conversation and then come away from this conversation like, I want to be this guy's best friend and I hope that we're friends after this is something that uh, I just experienced and it's phenomenal, man. So like, I'm so glad that you came on. I'm really glad that you're putting content out there that led me to you, to your breadcrumbs and and to this great advice and the way that you see things, man. And I really, really appreciate you having been here. Oh, look, man, it's my pleasure to be with you and uh, and your audience. This is actually, I enjoy this as an element of community as well, because what I've realized, especially connecting with business owners like me, like no one's figured it out, right? We're all trying to figure it out as the game is changing. We're all trying to help each other. And so I appreciate the service that you do putting this stuff out there and, and keeping these discussions going. So this has been a real pleasure for me too. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.